0: You guys that are, uh, you're here today, I want to, I want to share with you a tip. And if you were alive, guys, in December, I think it's December the 12th, 1980, anybody alive back then besides me? JB is. Jefferson's. Okay. A few of us, guys, we were alive, December the 12th, 1980. And that was when Apple stock first went public and you could buy a share for $22, one share of Apple stock. And I remember December uh, 1980 and I, I, was in, I was in high school and I was working several jobs. I, I had $100. I know that I could have bought one share of Apple stock and, and probably could have scraped together a little more if I knew what that would be worth today. You see, that one share, it has split four times, and every time it splits, then you get more, and so that one share would be equal to fifty-two or 56 shares of stock today. I'm talking stock market, um, but if you're, if you're thinking about investments, guys, this would have been a wise investment if someone had told me that. And so now that, that, that share would be worth 56 shares, and it would be worth $266 per share, and those 56 shares would be worth $14,896. If I'd invested $100 in 1980, I would own 254 shares, and that would be a cash value the other day of $67,000. That's a lot hundred dollars. I, I had a hundred dollars. I, and I, you know, I remember Apple. We were playing with Apple in high school. And, and I, it, was, it was a struggle for me. And I thought it was interesting, but I had no idea where it was going. And I, I have an Apple product in my pocket and one sitting up here with me today. But that would be an incredible stock tip. And there's no one here, I don't think, that would not have appreciated uh, the insight to someone say, hey, find you $100, and let me show you what that'll do. That, that, that would be an incredible stock tip. Today, though, I want to share with you a tip, and, and, and it's far more valuable than Apple stock. And, but it affects the bottom line of your life, your marriage, your children, and your legacy. Um, and I, I, I've got I've to get you, to, and I've got to ask you something. I, I really hope that you will not only give me your attention today, but I'd like for you to commit to be here the next three weeks. And if you have to miss, catch it online. But we're just in the day, guys, as a church that we need to talk about marriage. We need to talk about vows and we sit here today and there's there's some there's many of you married there's some of you single but you think that the vision for your life is that you will be married someday so this is relevant for you there's some of you that are divorced and there's still relevance there's relevance here today there's some widowed even perhaps and there's relevance but i it, I felt the Lord leading me this week that I, I've, got to, I've got to stop for a moment and I've, I've got to try to get your attention and I've got to try to reel you in a little bit and I've, because there's like an elephant in the room. If I were imagining it back here, there's a ping pong table, but if that was the elephant in the room, we'd have to talk about it. And I've got to take a few weeks here and we talk about this. It's the, it's the elephant in the room. It is, um, I've never, I've been pastoring since the 90s. And I've never seen more marriages in trouble than right now today. And that's right here, Access Church. And listen, I'm not picking on any one person. Know that. I'm coming to you as a shepherd today with the Word of God. And then allowing you to please receive the Word of God and let the Holy Spirit and the Word of God work within you to, for you to evaluate, to you examine yourself and look at, what does this mean for me? I'm not picking on anyone. There's some of you here today, your marriage, you feel like, hey, your marriage is great. It's really good. Well, your marriage could be better, perhaps, and I found that. And there's others of you, um, I've become convinced that there are what we see publicly that it's not what's going on privately. All the more reason to lean in today. Because you know, you examine yourself, pastor, you're you're over the target because there's a lot going on and no one else knows about it. Maybe even your spouse doesn't know about it because you got secrets going on. But today, today I want to give you some tips. And, and as we even get started in this, let me give you 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is what Apostle Paul wrote. He said, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. I hope we're not in that day. But I, I've, I'm also fearful that we are. When good people, good Christian people even, they'll they'll hear sound doctrine, they'll hear the word, and like, we don't want to put up with it. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to practice it. Instead, to suit their own desires, to go their own way, they will gather around them a great number of teachers, podcasts, YouTube videos, social media, to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth, And turn aside to myths. Incredible insight from the Apostle Paul that could be relevant, could be happening perhaps even in this room today. When it comes to kingdom relationships, guys, partnerships, ministry together, friendships, work, and marriage... How we deal with our feelings and emotions will be played out in this life that we're building. Everybody here building a life. Everybody here making one decision at a time. It's just like putting bricks together and you're building a life. You're making decisions every single day. Let me me have you, in light of that, let's walk through James chapter 4 together. Submitting ourselves to God. We're going to walk through this slowly, and I want you to absorb what James is sharing here. It's the most practical book of the Bibles, many would argue, I would agree with. And I need verse 1 of chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 1 through 10. If you don't have that, just raise, you don't have it. Okay. Let me read it for you, and if you have your this is this is a good reason why we should have a Bible in our hands, because yes, we can't depend on a screen all the time, but let me read it for you, and you, if you have a device, you can pull up, hope, hopefully you have the Bible app. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He calls to live in us envies intensely? But He gives us more grace. And that is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. What causes fights and quarrels among you? That's that's a great place to start, guys. And again, in light of everything, your marriage, your kingdom relationships, your network, the the place that you work, the place that you live, the friendships that you have, the ministry that you're doing, what, what causes fights and quarrels among you? What caused you to get so upset that that you're willing to argue, that you're willing to use your tongue in the wrong way, that you're willing to go after someone by text or email or confronting them in person and giving them a piece of your mind or working behind the scenes and undermining leadership and going against someone else? What causes those fights and quarrels among you? What causes fights and quarrels in your marriage and James suggests this don't they come from what your desires that battle within you that each one of us consider for a moment that we have some desires that are within us we have some things that we want some ways that we want it some things that we value and some of those things are good and kingdom and biblical things, and some of those things are just selfish desires. We want things our way, and we're not shy, typically, about letting other people know what we really want. That's sometimes what makes pastoring so much fun. People are, I assure you, there, there is no shortage of people who want to tell me what, what's the best color. Or what we should be doing. <laughs> and I assure you, I, I take it very seriously what I'm doing, guys. I stand here not because necessarily I want to. It's just that I believe God's called me to be here and stand here. And so I don't get too upset about critics and I don't get too excited about flattery either. Because I, I feel like my assignment is from God and and that he, he holds me accountable. Uh, James says that too. I, not many of you should want to be teachers because uh, those who teach will be judged more strictly. In James three one, I've always considered that. Many of you consider that, and you don't want to be a teacher, and and you don't want to be a pastor, and I, you don't want to be a ministry leader. You don't want. You just want to back off into the into the quiet. I get it. Many times that's for me too. But we want some things and we don't get our way. There's there's desires within us. Verse 2, James says you want something but you don't get it. You wanted it to be your color. You wanted it to be your timeline. You You wanted a particular title and you don't have it. And in marriages... You know, you you wanted it something. You you wanted, you had an idea, you had a dream about uh, what what marriage would be like and how exciting it would be. And, and the reality is uh, there's a day-to-day deal and it's maybe not so exciting. You wake up every day and both of you got bad breath. And some of you didn't get enough sleep. And you got to figure out how to pay a bill here or there and you've got to figure out how to parent your kids and you've got to figure out how to go to work and how to make ends meet and it's just not fun it's just not exciting you kill and covet but you cannot have what you want you you're willing to kill for it you want what someone else has but those of you married at one point man you were just goo goo guys you were just goo goo over her and girls you thought he was the best looking thing ever. Man, so much fun to be around just the two of us. And then what happened? Discovered that it's a, a lot harder to grind life out and you get thinking about other things and you get and you're feeding at other tables. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. There's a key element right there to think about. And I I use that phrase often. I use it several times this week. I I surprised someone with the food they wanted, and they'd made it known. And I said, you know, we don't have because we don't ask. And I was referencing this. But what would it look like? You're getting these desires. You're getting this internal battle going on. You're willing to kill for it. You're coveting what someone else has. You're quarreling. You're fighting. You're saying hateful things. But what is it that you don't have because you do not ask God? God's not even in the equation. God's God's not part of your relationship and your conversation, and there's no prayer life going on, and you're going through the motions of life, and you've gotten distracted, and... You maybe even come here and gather, and yet we're ignoring the elephant in the room. Verse 3, James says, when we ask, we don't receive because we ask with wrong motives. He questions our motives. That James says, that you're asking for these things and you want it this way because uh, you want to spend it on yourself. And yet, all of us have signed up for a kingdom where we're saying no to ourselves. When I'm I'm saying there's an upside-down kingdom, that's what I'm talking about. It's no longer about you. It's no longer about what you want. It's what, God, what do you want in my life? Where do you want me to be? That, That obedience that Amy was just talking about, how do you want me to participate in the kingdom financially? Yeah, I'm not about the things that are on my my want list, but what do you want for the kingdom? Selfish desires, wrong motives. Verse 4, you adulterous people, you unfaithful people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Friend of the world or friend of God? I am a friend of God. Really? Then that means there's a separation. You can't can't have it both ways. Friend, Friend of the world, friend of God. Friend of the world, it's hatred toward God. The values don't line up. The principles don't line up. The kingdom is completely opposite. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Friend, can you afford to be an enemy of God? I can't. No, I want to cry out, God, renew my mind. Renew my mind. Because I don't want to be a friend of the world. I don't want to be an enemy of God. I cannot afford that. I want to walk with the living God. And so God changed me from the inside out. Renew my mind and give me a different purpose, a different alignment. Or verse 5, do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he calls to live in us envies intensely? That the spirit, all of you who say you're a believer, you've got the Holy Spirit involved in your decision making. A Holy Spirit that checks you and says, you know what, I don't think I would go there on a Saturday night. A Holy Spirit that checks you and says, you know what, that's not the guy that you should be going out with. A Holy Spirit that checks you and says, you know what, you should not be traveling alone. You better call some other friends. A Holy Spirit that, it's indicative of a jealous God. He doesn't want to compete with your love of the world, your love of worldly things. That There's a Holy Spirit that's trying to to stop you, to get you to yield, to get you to surrender those things that war within you. But hallelujah, verse 6, he gives us more grace. He gives us grace. Grace to respond to the living God. Grace to respond when, whenever his word goes forth, and that's what I'm counting on today that his word is going forth with authority and scripture tells me it will not return void that you'll have to deal with it and you can respond in obedience or you can reject and you can live with those kind of consequences but I'm trusting in a living God this very day James says that's why scripture says God opposes the proud gives grace to the humble Proverbs 3.34 do we have that? See, mock's proud mocker shows favor to the humble and oppressed, those who will humble themselves and say, God, I need more grace. I need your grace over this area of my life. God, you know all things are not perfect. God, I'm trying to correct the use of my tongue. I'm trying to be a better person parent i'm trying to be a better spouse i'm i'm trying to surrender all of the worldly views and worldly values that i had and god i I need your grace in this hour it's available thankful for more grace verse seven submit yourselves then to god resist the devil and he will flee from you resist the devil Meaning, don't go along with what he's got for you. He's got a worldly path. He's got a use of your tongue. He's got got values that he would love for you to embrace. But we have the ability, James says, to resist the devil. We don't have to go along. And if we do resist, he will flee from us. He will be separate from us. He He will be apart from us. Verse 8, come near to God and he will come near to you. Hallelujah. The possibility, the scriptural value that I can choose to come near to God and have the promise that he will come near to me. I can draw near. I don't have all the answers. I'm not perfect. But I will draw near to God and depend on that he's coming near. Believing by faith. God, you're coming near in this hour. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. This should break our hearts. It should cause us to think differently. We grieve the loss. We weep over our own sin. We weep over our own stubbornness and our own proneness and default perhaps to to chase after arguments and criticism and sinful lifestyle. It should break our hearts, grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter to mourning. You have nothing to laugh about. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. I want to share that word with you to lay a foundation today because we have to choose and what do we do? Are we going to humble ourselves before the Lord trusting that we can draw near and he'll draw near to us or are you going to go your own way? I can seek to walk obediently with God or I I, I can just walk with the devil but I implore you today resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's what needs to happen in so many relationships in this room. You need to resist the devil. That's old school. Yes, I know I'm old and I got old ideas, but they're based on the word of God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's that's a promise. I'm standing on the word. I'm not gonna cooperate with him. I'm not gonna go along with him. I'm not gonna entertain those thoughts. I'm gonna allow the Holy Spirit to lead me otherwise. That's a choice that we're all making in this room. But whether it's your friendships, your workplace, and most of all your marriages, I implore you, humble yourselves this very day before the Lord. Let him lift you up. Let him do the miracle in your life and in your marriage. Let me tell you what's wrong. Give me the uh, 50% image. See, 50% of first marriages end in divorce. That's Christian or not Christian. That means we can flip a coin, and it's going to go either way. That means that in a room of this size, that half of you could consider getting a divorce. Half of you might consider, and, and unfortunately, what I'm finding is that people are calling the lawyers before they call the pastor. Because what, what I perceive going on publicly is not true. And privately, it's a war zone, and then you're calling lawyers where used to in the day they would call the, the pastor gets some conversation some opportunity to speak some truth and, and try to bring reconciliation and try to bring people together. But no, I, it's now up to lawyers and judges. By the time I find out about it, it's not the way it should be. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago the parable of the ten virgins. Jesus, Jesus lays out that parable. It's 50-50. Some are going to be ready and about half are not. It's 50 50. And it's 50-50 with marriage. And some folks still think, well, you know what? I'm just, I'm just, I'm gonna get divorced. And here's what here's what second marriage looks like. Seventy-eight percent of second marriages end in, in divorce. You think it's greener on the other side? That's the other side. thank you. Thank you. Exactly. Now, when I grew up, guys, I, I, I'm, just, I'm not sharing with you today from the perspective of just of a perfect world and, yeah, pastor, you've been married a long time. No, see, my history is, and this is no disrespect to my parents, because if they were alive and they're not, but if they were standing here, I think they would say amen. They married young. Guys, by the time I was five years old, my, my birth parents married and divorced Twice. But I, all I knew for five years was chaos in the house. Fighting, crazy fights, breaking stuff. Um, all of a sudden, at my grandparents' house, because there's total chaos, and in in, in my parents just cannot get along. And they're screaming, they're yelling, they're using words I don't understand, but it's total chaos. Thankfully, God puts my grandparents in my life, and they intervene, and they bring some peace. And as my siblings and I, we have a safe place to live, and, and it's, there's no screaming. There's no yelling. They gave a great example. They fed us. They clothed us. They took good care of us. It was a safe environment. But back and forth, I went between um, my mother, and, 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 and she did not make good decisions regarding relationships. And so I grew up with into my teenage years, eventually even being adopted. And I thought, well, this is going to fix everything. And they changed my name. My birth name is Melton. I was adopted when I was 10 years old by my stepfather. He changed my name to Green. And I thought, and my siblings thought too, oh, this is going to be awesome. Finally, there's going to be stability in the house, finally, there's going to be a wonderful environment. And we could not have been further from the truth. My, my parents continued to fight. New parents now. I never, my, my birth father, I never saw him very much after that. Maybe three times between when I was five and 18. He just never was around. Never part of my life. My, my stepfather, he and my mother, they fought like crazy. Screaming, yelling. Breaking things. Uh, I remember being shoved against the wall one time. Just total chaos in the house. And, And it was on display for our neighbors. We were late for school. We weren't ready for school. There was no one to help us with homework. It was total chaos in the house. Let me tell you what else was going on. We were not part of a church community. There was no relationship with God on display. Sometimes when we did go to church, it was with my grandparents. Or my parents had a great idea. Let's just put all the kids in Catholic school and then everything will be better. And so all six of us, it it was his kids, my mom's kids. They have one together. And we go to Catholic school. And I learned a few things. Learned a few things. Got in trouble a little bit but it didn't fix anything so then we went to an Episcopal church for a while nothing I'm not calling anything out I'm just saying that we were bouncing from different religion one to another and we would plug in for a little while and and then we would slowly fall away and that's what happens in a lot of your lives too see the word of God speaks and those seeds are sown but you've got a hard heart And there's an enemy who hates you and wants to destroy you. And he comes immediately. I'll share truth. Someone else will share truth. And and the birds come and pluck it away. And then you you fade away. And I come looking for you. And you tell me different things. We're we're busy or it happens. That was my history though, guys. That's what it looked like. That's what second marriage looked like. And actually, my mother, I believe, married five times. And the fifth time, my stepfather—he's still living—could be even watching today. And they stayed together 20 plus years, and uh, until she passed away. And uh, they fought, but they stayed together, and they got through it. He was a Kentucky state policeman, and you know. But by then, I'm an adult, and I moved on to to my life and my decisions used to though you see back in the day and in my time even the 90s as a pastor when people came to me and they said you know what pastor we have, we're going to get a divorce it's because that there was infidelity there was sexual immorality in the marriage and then sometimes they divorced and sometimes they reconciled and god did a miracle and they continued going But let me show you some recent statistics here, guys. Remember, this is the war going on within you. The causes of divorce today. And yes, there's one down there somewhere, um, infidelity. It's number two. And there's a lot of similar statistics. But number one, guys, beyond infidelity, is a lack of commitment. And here's how it comes to me. This is what it's explained to me. Uh... Pastor, we just don't want to be married anymore. That, that, that's, what, that's what church people tell me. We just don't want to be married anymore. Yeah, there, there's not even been infidelity. And I'm like, what? You don't want to be married anymore, and this is again inside the church, outside the church. There's just a lack of commitment. We're, you know, I know what we said. I know what we spent on a wedding. I know we've got kids together, but we're just not gonna. We don't want to stay together. And that's happened way too many times in six years as a church here, guys. I've sat in rooms with some people, church people, people serving, people married. And they come together and, and I'm trying to help. I'm trying to bring guidance. I'm trying to point them to the word. And finally, they just set me down and say, you know what? Pastor, we, we just we don't, want, we don't want this to work. We don't want to be married anymore. And so I'm left with, well, I, I got nothing else to, to say or do. There's no reason for me to meet with you now because you you're, you're, you're don't have any interest in the word of God. You don't have any interest in staying together, and it's a lack of commitment. I don't want to be married anymore. That's my number one that I've heard probably the last 10 years, and I've heard that this week. We don't want to be married anymore, and I dig a little deeper. Has there been some unfaithfulness or something? No, no, no. We, we just don't want to be married anymore. Here's what the Bible says. Would you be interested at all to hear what the Bible says? Good. Because if that's the case, you're in the right place. We're not here to tickle ears. The Bible gives two clear grounds for divorce, and one of those is sexual immorality that you could divorce because one has been unfaithful to the other. And yet, as I've told you, I've seen that time and time again. God do a miracle, forgiveness, reconciliation. Marriage continues, and it's fruitful and and ongoing. A second reason would be abandonment by an unbeliever. 1 Corinthians 7.15, abandoned by an unbeliever. So divorce is possible, but it's not encouraged. It's possible, but it's not encouraged. There, there could be restoration. Divorce should be viewed as the last resort. Now, we we got to be careful with this too. 1 Corinthians 4, 6. It, it, it's da- you don't want to be da- guilty of adding to or taking away from Scripture. Scripture is our plumb line. Scripture is our standard for the Christian community. I hope that's why we're all here today and some would say well what about you know there's spousal abuse you know they're they're abusive they're they're uh emotionally physically i've seen instances where there's child abuse there's addictions pornography drugs alcohol a spouse goes to prison there's a gambling addiction mismatch financially there's illegal activities. And while that's not addressed specifically in Scripture, but come to me, tell me, talk to me about that. Because we, we see some of that on here. It's possible. Maybe there's domestic violence. But that, that's about a fourth of the time, maybe. Something illegal happening. Come talk to me about that. Let's, let's see about that. Because it could be that uh, counseling intervention could make the marriage better it could be an understanding it could be an addiction that's anchored in the past and it's never been dealt with and we could through counseling and the power of God see a restoration and a reconciliation but James chapter 4 addresses what I have seen Dave and Ashley Willis they're, they, they, they share in some churches that I know and about marriage and they give three simple ways to kill a marriage and number three is put yourself before your spouse. Just be selfish. Make the whole world about you and see how that goes for you. And that's in line totally with what James is writing in the first century that there's some there's some desires within us and they're they're messing with us and they're confusing our thinking and the way that we act. Here's what's the difference between Christianity and a Christian marriage. I've married a few people now over the years and over the decades. And, and some say, well, marriage is a contract. And I'm here to tell you, see, marriage is a covenant. Before a covenant faithful God. I came together with my wife and we made a promise before God that until death do us part, we would be together. It's a covenant with a covenant faithful God. And some just prefer a contract. They call a marriage, but really they're talking about a contract. See, a contract involves promises. A covenant involves oaths. A a contract involves part of your life, but a covenant involves your whole life. A contract has an expiration. And a covenant is for life. See, contracts are enforced by courts and covenants enforced by character. I will do what I say I'm going to do. I don't have to have a piece of paper back me up. In a contract, you sign your name, and in a covenant, you bind your heart. See, a Christian marriage is a covenant marriage. Will you give me that slide? Covenant marriage. A Christian marriage is a covenant marriage. It's a solemn and binding agreement between two or more parties in which each party commits to fulfilling certain obligations and responsibilities. The marriage covenant demands the death of two wills. No longer two, but one. You ever heard that? To birth one. It is a covenant with God. God, help me. God, help me. I want to be married for life. I don't want to repeat the patterns of my past, but I want to be married for life. It is a covenant. Dr. Tim Clinton puts it this way, that Christian marriage is a triangle. It takes three for two to become one. God in the middle. God in the the sense of it all. God as the covenant partner to help us and align us. Marriage is not easy. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 16. Let me share with you a couple verses. See, wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman. Could also be a man. From the wayward wife with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. For her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead none who go to her return or attain the paths of life. Proverbs, and this could be male, could be female, but the one who has left, they've left the idea, they've left the partner of their youth and ignored the covenant that they've made before God. It's possible to do that, to and invite you to think back today. Maybe you've been married for 10, 20, 30 years maybe a year, maybe two, Ricardo. Been married for a couple years. I, You look back at those photos, that was, that was the man or woman of your youth. And as you consider what may be going on inside of you and what you may be battling against, that you have the potential to ignore the covenant you make before God. And I'll pray not. Rich Wilkerson's this about vision when frustration with what it is creates passion for what could be vision if you were to get a vision for your marriage today maybe you relate to my story a little bit that i told quickly there but i looked at my situation where i come from and look at what is and it was frustrating And for me, it created a passion for what could be. God, there's got to be more. God, there's got to be a a reality where you are the center of the marriage. You're the center of everything. And I can covenant with you and with another person, another woman, and have a successful marriage, one that gets through all the stresses of life, gets over the hump, and and where there's commitment of, from both parties to walk forward and see what God can do. I wonder today if you were to think about your own life and think about perhaps the marriage that you have and the frustration that it is and, and the frustration from your background and if it could not create a passion for what could be. Let me give you some old pictures. I've been going through the box this week. Nineteen eighty three frustrated with what could what it was, but hopeful, <laughs> passionate about what could be. And you don't know what could be, but we're we're talking, we're dreaming, thinking, Man, it'd be awesome to have six kids one day. Have some grandkids and have a house that is peaceful. Have a house where we can stand on the word of God and have his presence rule and reign. Let me give you another picture. Six kids, three grandkids, two awesome son-in-laws, and a mother-in-law who says I'm her favorite. And she means it. I'm the only one. Dreams come true. Vision to fruition. Easy? No way. We could have quit. Could have given up. Could have fallen back on on our past. You know, that's just where we come from. And that's just how it is. And we could have quit. But we're here 40 Years later, we celebrated 40 years this past June. We're working on 41 now, guys. (laughs) I'm grateful. It's a testimony to the living God. That's all it is. It it, it is a, a process of allowing God to renew my mind, change old habits and old ways, and and look at his word and say, God, I, your word tells me that if I'll draw near to you, you'll draw near to, near to me and help me to be a man of God. Help me to lead my marriage. Help me to parent my kids. Help me to grandparent my grandkids. Help me to not be selfish. Help me to not want selfish desires, but want kingdom desires. And you go from two that become one and see God fulfill every Vision that he's birthed within us. His promises are true. His potential was limitless. His power is amazing. This is the power of God on display. That's all. That's all. I promised you a tip today. Let me give you a tip. Less than 1% of couples who pray together daily in their marriage. Soak on that for a moment. You're here single. I think I'd be looking to pray with that man or woman that you're dating. Divorced, widowed, thinking God might have you marry again. That's what I'd be thinking about. Married here today, that's what what I want you to take away. Because think about it for a moment. And I ask you, only you can answer this, but see, is that what's happening in your life and in your marriage? Are you praying together, husbands and wives? I've heard it said many times, couples that pray together stay together let me ask you is that what you currently are doing James says there's a grace for us you may be here today and let me speak specifically to married folks for a moment you got a good marriage maybe wouldn't this make it a better one that you might commit here today you're sitting in here as a couple maybe you reach over and grab the hand of your spouse and just as a sign to say let's let's commit to do that i looked at our marriage and we've done that some i really felt convicted uh, you know this would make a good marriage a better marriage and paul and i we've been consistent to do that lately and it's not always easy I remember this past Thursday night, I had had a long, long day. And I fallen to bed. And I'm just exhausted, tired. It had been draining. And I was reminded of this. And in my exhaustion even, I reached over and I grabbed her hand. I said, pray, pray for me. And she began to pray for me. And I prayed for her. And we didn't take long. I'm afraid sometimes we overcomplicate things. Some of you overthink. You overcomplicate. You don't have to pray for 30 minutes or an hour. You don't have to go from zero to 60 miles an hour. You could start today. I'm going to pray 30 seconds and a minute together. You, you all have a minute together. model for you guys, because I want there to be a difference in your life. I want there to be a difference in your home. Pray for me. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for my husband, Lord. I love him so much, but I know you love him more. And I pray right now, Father, that you would just continue to give him wisdom, he wears so many hats, has so many jobs, and I just pray, Father, that you would encourage him, that would you bless him abundantly, Father, as he leads our home, as he leads this church, and everything else that he's a part of, Father. I thank you for him, and I pray you give him a day of rest today in the afternoon, and thank you, Father, for our, our marriage together. In your name. Amen. Lord I thank you today for a wife of 40 years let's bless my life giving me joy giving joy to others I pray Lord you strengthen her you give her victory in every part of her life with her health make sure you have health and strength and wisdom as she parents and grandparents and Lord, may you give her incredible strength that is divine, that comes from you. May you bless her life, that she may be a blessing, not only to our home, but to others. Lord, we love you today. Thank you for our life together. But pray that, Lord, through this example, that your favor would rest upon every marriage that's in this place today that your favor would rest upon all those who may be single and think one day that they will be married. And I pray today for every marriage that's in trouble. Maybe today they might reach out to the other and join hands and pray for a, a few seconds even and begin a new habit, something fresh, something new that invites the presence of God where we will draw near to you and trusting that you're drawing near to us. God we need miracles today and marriages across this room and God we know of nowhere else to turn or nowhere else that we should turn except to you your promises are true your word is true your power brings victory and I pray that God you may, you may bring back from what is ashes and what is dry bones and that You may breathe your spirit upon some dry bone situations today. And they begin to see some dry bones rattle. (laughs) It may give them the confidence of trusting God today. I know it's hard. It means that we've got to humble ourselves before you. We've got to see what only a living God can do. God, we don't have time for religion and forms of godliness. God, we need the power of the living God today on display. I pray there be miracles in this room, in marriages, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Holy One, the Holy Spirit, as you move right now among us, that there would be a move of God in this room that moves good marriages into great marriage status that moves couples that might not be together in this house today but we may see them in the future together because it's the power of God that draws them together some that may be pending a divorce and they are separated God I pray miracles God that you would see us set aside our stubborn will and God we would humble ourselves and say God do I need to say I'm sorry do I need to repent do I need to do anything is there hope for our future and God I pray that you would give us a fresh vision take us from what is to where you would love for us to go God do a holy work in this room in the name of Jesus Some of you married in this room, you need to reach over and grab the hand of your spouse and you need to commit today. You're gonna pray together for a minute. Before, before you go to sleep tonight, you're gonna pray together. Others of you, you gotta take you gotta take some harder steps than that. You might need some help. We got, we, we got a phone number, we got an email, we got counseling resources. We got an opportunity to pray. I, I'm here today to pray for you. Pray for your marriage. Others are, will join me. I like to anoint with oil and smell this sweet fragrance representing the Holy Spirit. I'm pr- I'm praying for miracles in this room. It it is as I said earlier. It is not just one situation, guys. It's mul- multiple. It's too many. It's the elephant in the room. Let's slay the works of darkness today. And give victory to the Lord Jesus as God's people humble themselves and pray. If you need prayer today, you come. If you need prayer for anything today, I know there's some here today that need physical healing. And you you want to believe in the God of miracles. Well, I do too. Come and pray. God, just don't be in a hurry today. Let's worship the King of Kings. Let's build a life together in Jesus' name stand all together. Church, we're going to see you in one last song.